it's always fun when you meet somebody and you go, we're going to be friends for a really long time. That's how I felt about Rod since I met him a couple of years ago. Rod is one of the deepest experts in the world with a couple decades of experience in the creator economy across YouTube, Twitter, uh, Roblox, which is a massive gaming company. I think you're going to love the show. If you do, be a friend, tell a friend, and enjoy. Explore the minds and marketing strategies behind today's winning brands and businesses. Tap into the power of the creator economy with Earned by Creator IQ. Here's Connor Begley. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Earned. Today, I've got Rodrigo Veloso on the show. Welcome to the show, Rod. Thanks, Connor. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. So um, most people won't know this, but I actually got introduced to Rod when he was at Roblox and he was asked to evaluate our company for investment. And uh, he gave the thumbs up, but they gave us the thumbs down. But that's okay. We won't hold it against them. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that outcome. <laughs> it ended up working out. We ended up, you know, combining the company with Creator IQ. So it was great. That's um, great. Yeah, we ended up getting other offers as well. But that one, and I, was, I liked them too. But anyways, let's move on. So for those that don't know, Ron, so he got his master's at Wharton um, and has one of the preeminent thought leaders and experts in the influencer space, particularly within the gaming space where you've spent, I don't know how many years, probably 10 to 15 years um, at the head director of gaming partnerships at YouTube and then global director of influencer marketing at Roblox. And now you're the VP of creator success at a creator, a company that is very much focused on creators in spring. So I'm, a, I'm excited to dive in today. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So let's start at the top. You're originally from Brazil, but you found your way into tech and then eventually to the Bay Area. What was it that you kind of attracted you first to the tech space at Google, where you're, I believe you were there for about eight years? And then, um, and then what was it like moving away from home? That's a, that's a, big, that's a big decision. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, uh, um, I was working in media um, for a big magazine and a publishing company in the, you know, uh, in the late nineties. And so I was there for like web 1.0, you know, kind of, you know, right place at the right time in media, which was probably the, the industry most impacted, you know, by early web 1.0 initiatives. And, and the company got into that very much, you know, um, uh, building websites and, and, you know, uh, spinning off, it's internet division and trying to get into the whole kind of IPO, you know, all the M&A that was going on in Web 1.0. Um, so I kind of got my first taste of tech that way, kind of from the media and entertainment perspective. And I was, you know, working in um, in strategy and corporate development, uh, but also had a keen interest in, in content creation. And, and during my career at this media company, I transitioned from one to the other, from you know, so I, I ha about half the time there, I was in strategy and corp dev. The other half, I was a, a publisher, an editor of, 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 of magazines and websites. Um, and that's in that context that kind of I saw tech coming and Google uh, particularly was like Camelot, you know, like, <laughs> really like it just IPO'd, you know, in 2004. Um, it, I joined Google on this thing called Google Book Search, which was 
you know, this massive project to digitize the world's book and books, all of them, and create this kind of digital library of Alexandria. So it was all very kind of like, you know, just, um, it seemed like, you know, like the company had IPO'd and, and it's, it's, um, it had that, you know, that, that, um, what do you call it? Like one of its values. I don't know what, what would you call this, but it was in, in the IPO kind of documentation was the whole, don't be evil. Yeah. This, it was really changing the world, right? To, to today that sounds cliche, but at the time it wasn't right. At the time, everyone was really kind of buying into that, that whole kind of like, yes, this is something different. And so that's really what attracted me. Like I was in traditional old school media and there was this shiny new thing. And then, and Google had just bought YouTube as well. So I joined Google in 2007, working on essentially making that bridge between content and technology, right? Um, bringing content onto these kind of technological products. And, and so my journey really started there. And, um, and then the moving to the US, like I, you can tell from my accent, I actually had lived in the US as a child. So my mm -hmm. dad, Australian diplomat. Uh, we lived in New York when I was a kid. I studied at American schools a lot of my life. Um, so kind of, it was, it was something I actually wanted to do. I wanted mm -hmm. it for my kids, for them to have that experience as well. And, you know, the opportunity came up about halfway through my career at Google. So I was in four years in the, in the Sao Paulo office and, um, the opportunity came to join YouTube and move, um, moved to San Bruno where YouTube was headquartered and, um, and lead our kind of Latin American and U.S. Hispanic content partnerships from here. Um, so I took it and uh, yeah, it was amazing. Like that's, that, that was kind of the, those I think are the two questions. So I'll, I'll, I'll turn it <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny. I mean, obviously you kind of, you know, shortened that down, but that was like a 10 year thing, right? That was a big, a big chunk of your kind of early career. And to have gone through, you know, like you said, an industry that was probably most impacted by the internet, right? Like, you know, if you were a magazine publisher back then, like it was changing times to say the least. And actually, I'd be curious to get your opinion on, you know, the changing times for Google, right? So you've got chat GPT that's come out recently, as well as a litany of other kind of um, AI tools. And I know that Google or uh, Microsoft was a big investor in open AI that, you know, they put a billion dollars into it and they're now going to start introducing some of that into Google search. What's your, what's your prediction for that, where that goes? Do you think it will end up having a pretty big impact on, on Google's business? Oh yeah. I think, you know, I, what business is it not going to have impact on? Right. Right. Is it, yeah. Is it AI is kind of this universal technology that's going to kind of, you know, it's going to change everything, I think. Um, how it's going to impact Google's business specifically, like I think a lot of Google's business is, is search and, and ad-based, right? It's kind of, you know, uh, even YouTube, when you look at YouTube, it's the second largest search engine in the world after Google, at least it yeah. used to be. Um, so... You know, I think kind of the ways that AI helps people, let's say if we go back to Google's core mission, and this has probably been updated since my day, right? But at the time it was organize the world's information and make it accessible and useful, right? Universally and accessible. And universally, useful. that's exactly. Yes. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think the, the, un, the unspoken part of that is, and make money doing that, right? And so, <laughs> 
those are the questions you have to ask is like, okay, well, how does AI impact that? And, you know, um, those, you know, not just kind of search kind of, kind of, does it help people search better? Um, does it help people um, create more content to be searched? Does it complicate finding truth because there's so much more, um, you know, just uh, clutter or, you know, static, whatever you want to call it, you know, interference, in yeah. between, um, accurate information and, and just information. Um, so it, it's, it's fascinating to think about. I don't have an answer for it. I wish I did. I was more of a, more of a, um, uh, but I, but I would look at it from that lens of, okay, well, how does this impact information? How does it find, impact the, the finding of not just information, right? Like when you think of content, it's really information is one, entertainment is another, and education is the third, right? Those are really mm -hmm. the three types of content and Google helps find and, and, um, and, and, and some, in some cases, uh, uh, consume a lot of those types of content. So it's really how does AI impact that part of the equation? Um, and then how does it impact the, the other part of the equation, which is, you know, the, the monetization of that content, whether through ads, which was kind of, you know, Google's uh, first kind of uh, um, model, um, but, you know, it's not the only model these days. You know, Google has a lot of other revenue sources developing some, some based on the same content, some based on different content and technology, but. Yeah. They say, I was reading something that was interesting saying that the biggest risk to Google in this whole thing, because Google supposedly has kind of similar technology, right? It's just in-house. It's not necessarily provided to the public, et cetera, and potentially even more powerful. But the problem is that like, it is tough to integrate that into their existing revenue model, right? Like, how do you, you know, if you're not sending them to another site in order to get this, right, then people aren't going to advertise for that, right? Like if you're just answering the question yourself, how do you, how do you generate revenue off of that? It's, it's more difficult. I mean, there's ways to do it, but um, yeah, it's just. Well, I agree with that though. Like if you think about like algorithms, that's the business. Yeah. AI is kind of like, you know, you know a living algorithm, if you will. Yeah. Maybe one way to look at it. Um, so you know, you know, before, even before I left Google, you know, we were already on, at YouTube working on kind of AI to identify, you know, content and, and understand what content was and, you know, identify similar content. And when you yeah. think of the implication of detect truth, that becomes super interesting, right? Like at Google News, for example, we looked at, okay, well, how do you, how do you know what is the best? Is the best the most truthful? Is mm -hmm. it the you know, feeds into your perspective. Is it? <laughs> yeah. What is the definition of best? The one you're most likely to click on. <laughs> well, I mean, like that wasn't always the case, actually. Like, because you know, there was a longevity component to this, right? So, yeah, yeah if you, like, you can be if if you can click on something, but if you repeatedly click on, you know, serve up the most clickable thing, um, over time, you might actually be, you know suggesting that you're not trustworthy because you're providing kind of not content that's not the best and the person detects that over time yeah uh, so so it's the that definition is very important to the business right you know um uh and to the whole content model so anyway but but 
those are some great applications of AI. It's like you can think of it from the perspective of, oh, it's going to convolute things because it can um, you know, cause so much more content to be created, but it can also do the opposite. It can, it can you know, really accelerate the detection of what is fake and what is interesting. Fake. You know, like you could look at it from, a, as with all technology, right? There are applications that are good for humanity and applications that are bad. And hopefully we'll be smart enough to tell the difference and, and pursue the ones that are, you know, that help us. Yeah, I think this has definitely been one of the most eye-opening in terms of just public response. I think the stat I saw was something like it took Netflix five, mil five years to get to a million subscribers it took Facebook five months and it took OpenAI five days, right? Like it's just, it's, uh, and like people are starting to use it like in meaningful ways. It's like, I was like, oh, I wonder if I can write a summary using, given my podcast transcript. It was like, done. It was like, oh shit, copy and paste my podcast transcript, write a four paragraph summary of this, done. And like, it's like, it's just shocking. And that's, it's just so early. Um, anyways. And I think that's the real question, Connor, right? Like, I mean, it is early and it's, you know, certainly that stat is impressive of like adoption, but, you know, I don't know how much of that stat has to do with the tech versus with the distribution and like awareness factor, right? Because every single technology that has come has been adopted faster. It's like, yeah, it's not like this is a new thing. Like you can make that graph. Oh, you know, Facebook was adopted X times as fast as Twitter, which was, you know, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Or was adopted X times as fast, you know, and so and Roblox and so forth and so forth. So. I don't know how much it's, you know, I think the key question is to your point is like, how useful is it? How much time do people spend on it? How much, yeah. you know, does it become part of their everyday kind of utility and human yeah. and whatever? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get back to you. So, um, so I want to take a step back and just kind of talk a little bit about kind of your early days at YouTube. You know, obviously you were there um, during a period of time when it was really rising to prominence, right? Um, and I also think YouTube is unique, particularly at the time in their embrace of the kind of creator, right? As a, um, as like a core component, like, you know, it goes to something as simple as revenue sharing, right? Like as the first ones to actually do revenue sharing with the creators themselves. Talk about some of your earliest learnings from that space and then how that, you know, how you saw just what that period was like, that kind of hyper growth. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, YouTube, I think, and if I was lucky to, you know, you know, I always say this, I, I mean, this is not my idea, Connor, like opportunity is the combination of luck and experience or skill, right? Yeah. And so I do think like there was a big luck factor involved in my kind of, you know, just being at the right place at the right time, which was around 2011, I want to say, that YouTube kind of shifted its primary performance metric from views to watch time, right? So we mm -hmm. kind of sh we were shifting from, hey, we want to you know have a billion views uh, a day or a month, I don't know how much it was, um, to a billion hours yep. know, for that same time period. Um, well, I remember it hit a billion hours a day a few years ago, right? It was like four or five years ago. Yeah billion hours a day on YouTube it is a shocking number. It's so hard to wrap your head around how much that actually is, you know? Like, it's like, it's a, mm. <laughs> it's like a thousand millions. It's like, 
the one I the one I really liked, I'm gonna get the exact numbers wrong, but it was like, how long is a million seconds? It's like, oh, it's like, you know, 23 hours. It's like, how long is a billion seconds? It's like, oh, that's like 30 years. It's like, what? <laughs> well, like some obscene number. It's not that. It's a factor of a thousand X, but it was like, oh shit. Like you go from like a day to like four years. It's like, what the heck? Um, anyways. Crazy. So, so that shift actually like really changed our, our, our view of the business, you know, yeah. and, and gaming, which, you know, was an interesting vertical. It was maybe number seven or eight in terms of viewership. Uh, it really popped when we, when we started looking in terms of hours because the videos were long um, and people watched them for just a long time. Mm-hmm. And so I was tapped to kind of, you know, you know, figure out you know, what um, content and content partnerships look like for that vertical because, or should look like, because our mission as the content team was to bring on content that would grow viewership, or in this case now, now going forward hours, uh, watch time, and, um, you know, subsequently bring in revenues through that, that time, whether yep. you know, ads or otherwise. And so, you know, didn't as a strategy, you know, guy who's coming from media for coming from, from that universe, it did not take me long to realize a couple of, a couple of key things about this. One, um, this was entirely new content, right? Like this stuff was, didn't really exist on TV. It didn't really exist in any traditional media. Um, um, well, yes, in Korea it did, but I only found out about that later, you know? So up until that point, gaming for me was like a topic that I would see covered in men's magazines. And maybe there was one or two small, like dedicated, like hobby titles in the traditional media space. Um, but you know, so entirely new content genre, let's call it that, um, was the number one realization. And the number two realization was okay, well, who's driving the viewership of this new genre? It's not the game publishers. Yeah. It's not the game media companies. The, you know, it's not even, it wasn't even like the pro tournaments and, and like the sports kind of vibe thing. We, we, we explored all those hypotheses and came to an understanding that it was these independent individual creators making, driving like over 90% that viewership. Um, and that was, you know, really an amazing realization. It's not like we weren't aware yeah, that yeah. the creator, like we, the creator, the term creator economy did not exist at that point. So no, no. Um, obviously as YouTube, right. It's like, it's YouTube. It's you broadcast yourself was the, yeah. was the old tagline, right? Like it was absolutely about giving individuals like a, a voice or a channel from distribution of video content. Um, and, you know, we certainly understood that, you know, there was like burgeoning ecosystems of, of creators, separate independent creators in lots of different spaces from comedy to, you know, fashion and beauty. Um, so it's not like we didn't understand that, but generally speaking in every other vertical, um, over 50% of the, of the viewership was being driven, not by those creators. It was being driven by traditional content. Right. So mm-hmm. you think of music, for example, right? Like music was probably the number one, probably still is the number one vertical. Um, lots of re- repeat listening, repeat viewing of 
music content. So that really drives that, you know, um, that volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at music, you know, like, you know, a lot of the work that was being done was saying, okay, well, A, it's people taking traditional music and putting them on other types of content to enhance that content. So a big chunk of the business was just identifying that stuff and monetizing it on behalf of the labels or of the, the true mm. owner content, the artists or the label or whoever was managing the rights, you know. Um, and, but, you know, of when you, when you look at like original content, like most of it was, was still being put out and, and, and created by the traditional media industry. Um, and of course there was like a growing in the indie artist movement and it's still growing, but I would say, I would argue today, even today, it's still majority kind of, you know, traditional media industry driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, gaming, I think was the first vertical where we started saying, actually, you know, like this vertical, we need like our largest partners are creators. Mm-hmm. They're not traditional companies. Um, our largest part. So we, as kind of the direct partnerships team needs to start, need to start working directly with creators. And, um, I'm not sure if that was the start of that at, yeah. at YouTube. I believe it was, it was like one of my partner managers was one of the first on the direct team to work only with creators. Um, but that was kind of, for me, certainly the wake up call that, you know, things are changing, right? Completely new genre of content, completely new class of, um, enterprise behind it. Um, yeah. Whatever you want to call it, like enterprise, I say, kind of the, the initiative to kind of take that and make that a, a livelihood in a business. And, and that was just fascinating to me. So um, say that 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 put me on the path that I'm still on. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, again, going back to time spent, the amount of time spent with people and, and, and specifically on YouTube, but with these individuals is just, you know, it's, it's a lot, right? And I know that I personally, I was like, I want to get into gaming. I know gaming is going to be important for us. And so I started watching Twitch and it's like, you start to spend a lot of time with these people, right? Like you're like, you know, and it almost feels like you're hanging out with them, right? For like an hour, two, three hours a day. And that, um, that's just a much more direct connection than you can get with kind of a nameless media entity. Right. And so it's meaningful and it has impact. Um, yeah. So- when you think about that time, like we, we actually, you know, we, you know, uh, looked into Twitch, you know, as an acquisition you know, opportunity. And certainly like when you compare um, live and you compare video on demand and you compare like all these different platforms today, I think that time component is still a critical way to understand things, right? Like, TikTok up until recently had a one minute cap. Um, now it's 10 minutes, but I'm betting the majority of, of the, 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 the most watched videos are still short because that's just the pattern, right? Of, of, yeah. of how people view it. Um, you know, whereas kind of YouTube, maybe, you know, fashion, you know, beauty, like the average YouTube used to be around three minutes, right? Of, of, of viewership. The average gaming video was like three times that, right? Mm. Like, minutes the average you know live streaming session of on twitch was like three times that right yeah 30 minutes, spending 30 minutes and a lot of them like just you know were it wasn't like a lot of them were actually spending 90 minutes in 30 minute increments you know because they just happened yeah. to like lock off 
for a minute or whatever and come back. So, um, so absolutely. And, and that drives everything to my mind, right? It's hundred percent about engagement. It's hundred percent about community. And that's really the, the fascinating thing to me is that, that, you know, that, um, community creation and community sustainability through content and through distribution and communication technology, right? Like, um, that's for me, what's, what's fascinating about this space. So talk to me about that community building element in the context of Roblox, right? So you joined Roblox in 2018. Um, and I don't know, I'd be curious. I don't know the exact numbers about the size at that time, but obviously over the next four years went public at one point was valued close to a hundred billion dollars. Um, and I think the stat I saw that was wild was half of all children were playing it uh, at one point, over half of all children were playing it at one point in 2020. So talk to me about kind of how you leverage that concept of community building in the context of Roblox, as well as like, what was Roblox when you started? Like, how big were they? And then what was it like, you know, through that, that period of time? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I started Roblox 2018, as you mentioned. Um, memory serves, you know, it was around maybe 60 million monthly active users at the time. Yep. Um, and it had been growing, you know, really fast for a few years. I, I you know, I like to say I, I discovered Roblox. I kind of found it um, on Google Trends. I was trying oh. to figure out what the most popular, you know, games to create on YouTube were. And Roblox to me was like a Minecraft copycat. Yep. And when I saw it, like, it was like, on Google Trends was like, oh, number six, seven, showing up like top 10 um, on YouTube, sources of gaming content. Yep. And that was surprising to me. Um, you know, Minecraft had long been number one. And uh, Fortnite was at its peak, kind of almost bumping up against Minecraft. Um, so I was surprised to find Roblox and I dug in and I'm like, you know, I was astounded by it. I was, you know, I understood it's, this is not a game. This is a platform for creating interactive content. And yep. it seems to already have an organic um, creator ecosystem, like a parallel creator ecosystem on YouTube, on video, which to my mind was, you know, I ar already understood that interactive needed that video window, right? Like I'd been yep. working in gaming content on YouTube for years. Um, uh, uh, and, and that's kind of the only way for you to see into, you know, the interactive experience other than to go and play it, which is, you know, some, sometimes a higher, higher bar or higher barrier to entry than just watching a video, um, which is why it's kind of the main marketing, you know, channel for yep. all game content today is, is, you know, influencer or creator content. Um, so, uh, um, kind of lost my train of thought a little bit there. But <laughs> anyway, so, so the community you know, building element around uh, Roblox was one of the things I talked about. So it was around 60, 60 million, right? Like yep. we were talking about how big it was, right? And um, and how I'd found it. Um, and so I kind of joined with this understanding that, okay, well, here is a kind of interactive content platform that already has this organic kind of you know, discovery or marketing, if you want to call it engine, you know, that's growing with it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that was really kind of the, 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 the understanding that I brought to the table, right? Like I saw that from the outside. I saw that they were looking for a director of influencer marketing. Um, yeah. I had never held uh, any role with the influencer yeah. marketing title. And before I joined, I tried to change it to somebody else, to something else. Cause like, like creators don't particularly like being called that word. Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't really what we were looking for, um, but it was certainly marketing, right? It was certainly um, the main source of awareness for Roblox, the main source of engagement. We were seeing that. The company was already seeing that from, from its research, its marketing research, and, and that's why it was looking to hire someone. So, um, so it was really kind of a, you know, just a strong match. And I came in with a lot of understanding of like the YouTube side of that equation and what drove creators and brought that understanding to, to Roblox. And I think what really, um, you know, it's late stage kind of startup. So um, the environment is very resource constrained, as you can imagine, yep. right? Yeah. Platform that's growing super fast. Um, it has 60 million monthly active users, but... 400 employees, I think, when I joined. Yeah. So, you know, and 75% of those by design, product and engineering, um, you know, and when I say by design, because that's the, the philosophy Dave, you know, as a CEO um, had and continues to have, I think, wanted like a platform centric team. Um, and it's growing so fast, you know, that, you know, doubling every year that, you know, it's really challenging to say, hey, we should take some of our resources and put it against marketing, right? Like, yeah, totally. It's like, but, well, we're already growing pretty fast. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, 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 the trick there, if you want to call it, was just to kind of like raise awareness of like, go get the data, right? Say, hey, yeah. like, look how symbiotic these two things are. Look how much one, like, sometimes one is the leading indicator, sometimes the other is. Um, here's a theory about how those two things interact. Um, you know, here's what's going on in other properties in the interactive content space. Like there's this similar correlation, right? Like Minecraft, Fortnite, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so something is there for sure. Um, attribution was always a challenge, but, you know, at, at the beginning, it's just such a strong correlation and it's, you know, it, it makes sense to kind it's of- It's so logical, yeah. It's so logical to say, let's go experiment. Let's yeah, go yeah. money understanding this better. And that was the pitch essentially. And, um, you know, and, and, and as we started seeing the results and seeing kind of that, you know, um, that was working or at least there, we were continuing to grow, <laughs> you know, at a phenomenal rate, like accelerating actually, like gaining- uh, share and gaining um, positions. Like we went from being the eighth, like I said, seventh, eighth source of gaming content on YouTube to being the second yeah. after draft, right? And so we were gaining in share, we were gaining in volume, the company, you know, continued to grow um, super fast. And so that kind of, but the attribution remained the challenge kind of to get more resources. Like, okay, well, yeah, how do we know that like this wouldn't be happening anyway? Right. It's very tempting to think that when you're growing so fast, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Because our product is great. It's because, you know, and, and it, it is also that for sure. Right. I, I don't, you know, challenge that. But, um, but yeah, I think kind of the, the fascinating thing about Roblox was, you know, it, it was, um, I think one of the, the learnings, right, is that I think kind of it really start, started to grow really fast. 
around 2014, 2015, uh, when two things happen. One, um, you know, a lot of, uh, um, you know, it, it introduced monetization, which I think is the key thing. When you look at, you know, where the best content is, it's where creators of that content can get compensated for it. Mm. Uh, you know, and, 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 and there is a path to building a business around that because the more a creator can dedicate themselves to making the content, the better that content becomes. The more expertise they can bring into, into that craft from, from, you know, in areas that they don't necessarily dominate, even if they are a great entertainer or a great, you know, artist, um, the better it becomes for them. So kind of that ability is what drives the growth in the long term, right? The ability to, for artists and creators to get compensated. And, and, and that's what, you know, Roblox introduced in 2014, the ability for devs, you know, it's called DevX on Roblox. So the ability for uh, developers of content on Roblox, creators of, of interactive content to convert Robux back out into, you know, um, cash, cash uh, yeah. in varying currencies. And, you know, and, and YouTube is the other kind of platform that has a really strong monetization model. Um, so that was one, one of the drivers. The other one, I think, was kind of, you know, Minecraft's acquisition by Microsoft and at least the initial kind of, you know, restructuring that happened around Minecraft content, which was a very open platform in which Minecraft wanted to kind of you know, put a little bit of a wall around, which ended up alienating some creators who kind of saw in Roblox the, the opportunity to do this fascinating thing, which I think still is fascinating, right? Which is to build a multimedia content business. Yeah, um, I'm I'm in video, but I'm expanding into interactive content. A lot of Minecraft creators were already doing that. You know, a lot of Minecraft YouTubers had roles or or, or equity in Minecraft servers and um, yeah, where where people did multiplayer, like you know, whether it was you know, High Pixel or you know the the um, what was that um, Minecraft Hunger Games game? I forgot. Uh, oh. I, remember. I know what you're talking about all these different iterations of Minecraft, so people could have just a regular server to play vanilla with friends, and there was a cost to that. Um, or they could have, um, you know, a whole like version of the game that was modded by you know independent developers. So there was that independent developer or that indie aspect to Minecraft, which was a little bit alienated when Mojang was acquired, and yeah. that was enough to kind of kickstart, you know, the the Roblox kind of video uh, ecosystem because a lot of those creators said, oh, here's another interactive content platform that has its own, you know, uh, um, its own business model. It's kind of surprising that more of the social companies haven't moved towards kind of revenue sharing models, right? Because I think as a social platform, you can really deliver there's two different kinds of value, right? So one is um, cash, right? Like I can make money, right? So that happens in YouTube, Roblox, et cetera. Um, the other one is distribution, right? So like, you know, I'm there's a lot of people moving towards TikTok because there's so many people on TikTok, right? And there's not enough content. And so there's a chance to gain distribution. So you gain followers, right? But it's like, it's just been shocking to me because I think, again, I think a big part of YouTube's success is that a lot of people, that's how they earn their income reliably, right? Is like on YouTube. And the fact that like, 
other platforms, I mean, again, it's, it's probably hard to say, well, we're making all this money. We're going to cut it down by 30% and give it to other people, right? Once you're making all that money, like that'd be hard for Instagram to do that. But in terms of longevity, it just seems so critical, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, and I don't know if this is the correct diagnosis, but, you know, having worked at Twitter also in between there for, for just a, about a year, um, um, I think the, the, the feed model has a lot to do with that, right? Like when your traffic, when your viewership is all coming from the um, feed, which is, let's say, a curated experience, um, which combines and say, not like the content that people make and publish, but also kind of how you display that content. First of all, it, it makes you think that it's the curation that is what people mm -hmm. are, because people are scrolling through things. And um, so of course you understand that content is critical to that, but you can't necessarily compensate all the content creators. There's not much of a difference between, it's, it's harder to value. Okay, well, um, what did like the New York Times article link do for keeping that person on the feed versus their friend versus something else that they follow? Like it's yeah. harder to measure what, what the, let's say, what's keeping the person on the feed. Um, and the, the ad is coming in between two different pieces of content. So even if you wanted to attribute it to one of them, you'd have the question, how do you actually attribute this? Yeah. Who, who gets credit for that? It's harder, right? Like because of the feed model to say attribute. Um, at Twitter, when I was there, we introduced a video and, and it was much easier to say, oh, somebody's watching a video that this person posted. Um, that's very clearly, if we serve a video, an ad within that, you know, mm -hmm. after they've already been viewing for us, then that's very clearly coming from that creator. And, and we did try to introduce that model. Um, I can't say why it didn't continue. It was successful early on. Yeah. Um, I think kind of the com the company has a lot of and sadly continues to have a lot of management, uh, <laughs> or, or you know, um, which is part because of its kind of this whole like confusion of oh it's the town square and it's the you know it's the conversation and it's what's happening now and you know beyond just a distribution platform and uh, anyway. Um, so, so I think it has to do with the feed model. That, that would be my theory that, that the feed model makes it complicated, but it just, it fits the facts, right? Like Facebook has Facebook itself, Instagram, both feed oriented. Um, I feel like you can solve it though. There's a lot of smart people. Like you could like come up with some proxy, but yeah, I, the feed model definitely makes it more difficult for sure. And maybe I'm under, I'm, I'm sure I'm underestimating it. You mentioned uh, management issues at Twitter. Are you, uh, are you a believer? Are you, uh, what do you think? Do you think, uh, is it going to implode or do you think uh, Elon's going to kind of take it to the next, the next stage or does it just kind of continue along? I, I'm skeptical of, you know, someone who has no real, kind of media or social media experience, um, you know, just kind of, you know, as brilliant as, as they may be in other fields of, 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 of 
um, I just, I just, I've, you know, you, I've seen like that happen. Um, just to, to draw diff, completely different comparisons and not not speak just to the to the person because I think it's it's I'm not a believer that anyone does anything alone, right? Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I find that old meritocratic idea a little misleading. Um, so it's not just about you know that individual, but I but I feel like when there's no kind of background, no history, no experience at that top level, it gets complicated. And and there's great examples of this happening across tech, right? Like if you look at Google Stadia, hmm. Google Plus, just to stick yeah. with that I had like a first, you know, road seat, <laughs> right? Like, you know, those are like attempts to do something that was beyond the core of the company or of the, of the team. Um, so they were just, yeah, as, as much as like folks, that was just not in the DNA. Right. Um, so I, I, I just feel like that's the that's the problem there. It's like there's not a there's not a uh, a core DNA. It's not within you know this. It's kind of an, an alien organism, and I I don't think that works out. Um, which is not to say the company doesn't thrive, yeah. um, or doesn't find you know that isn't realized fairly quickly, and um, you know the right team is found, um, you know, that happens with kind of investments all the time. Um, so I, I really think it's right about putting the right, you know, the right team in place. And I just feel like it's moved away from that, right? Like, I'm not sure that this kind of like, hey, let's, you know, let's start from scratch on that front is the best approach. So I, I, I will say this. I love Twitter. Um, yeah. Having worked there for only a year, it's still one of my favorite apps. It's certainly a big time, um, you know, big a big, a big amount of my screen <laughs> goes to Twitter. So I really hope that it will find its path, that that team will be found. Um, I think that might take longer um, than it would have. <laughs> in in another uh, um, structure, um, but I'm hopeful it will happen, and and um, and I really think it's it's it comes down to that. It comes down to kind of you know um, bringing the experience um, and and empowering the the right vision of it. I was always surprised. I always felt like the right path for for Google to build like a because you know Google Plus, right? they were trying to compete in that kind of social space. It always felt like it's like, I mean, you already have YouTube, right? Like if like make YouTube, you know, why not have a feed experience where people can share it? You know what I mean? Like you already have people interacting there. I don't know that it would have worked, but it always felt like if that was like, that would have been the path, right? Like have you, and, and they're doing this in some ways in a totally different way, which I think is fascinating. Like I love YouTube TV as well. Um, but it's like build off of the back of that, right? Like you already have the users, you already have content, right? Like you could build a feed based experience that included text and other, you know, media formats. And they're doing that a little bit with YouTube shorts, right? But um, I always felt like the right path to me, but I don't know. 
That's hard, hard to argue with success. <laughs> it's worked out pretty well for Google. Uh, so let's talk about Spring. So you've been at Spring for six months now, right? Obviously now the creators are your customers in a lot of ways, right? So that's really, you're enabling them to kind of monetize, right? So they've now built up this distribution, this audience. And I think one of the, the primary ways that they connect with their audience as well as monetize their businesses is through, you know, gear, right? Stuff, shirts, all these kinds of things. What was it that made you excited about spring to join? And then, you know, what have you noticed in terms of, obviously you had deep experience with the creators and the gaming side, but spring doesn't only work with gaming creators, right? They work across the ecosystem. So how, what, what have you noticed that's different about the kind of the broader creator ecosystem that maybe you didn't know before? Well, what drew me to Spring, I, I, I think it's kind of my career moment, right? Yeah. More than anything else. So um, I decided to leave Roblox in May of last year um, after when I completed four years at the company and I kind of fully vested and um, because I felt I had, you know, gone through a, a cycle there. Yep. Um, a lot of changes were coming. Um, um, in terms of the, the growth vision, um, uh, moving, let's say, away a little bit from the core community and looking to how to expand into new, um, new segments, particularly older audiences, and also new, um, new countries, new languages. Um, and my... Uh, interest, let's say, I think was in that community aspect, in the, yep. the connection between, you know, content creator and community and the sustainability of creator businesses through kind of, you know, just leaning into that, right? As, as artists, as content creators, like creators are about creating that connection and, and um, you know, about, uh, um, connecting with the people that consume their content through the content itself in a, in a first stage, but then through repetitive uh, consumption of content and increasing understanding of the creator behind that content, it, you know, it becomes more than that. Um, and, and, and that's really cool in and of itself. Um, and additionally, you know, it also is what, drives in my view the the opportunity the commerce opportunity right or you know the 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 monetization opportunity if you want to look at it more broadly it's that um so i was keen to kind of continue exploring that like um leveraging my creator content and you know growing community knowledge, right? The, 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 the desire to go into Twitter, the desire to go into Roblox was very much about enhancing my capability in that community building, um, in that community building aspect. And so um, at least my role, um, a lot of new leaders came into Roblox with the IPO right before the IPO, right after the IPO. And with that new direction, um, you know, I, I felt like I needed, you know, to, to move on. So I was looking as I exited Roblox, I started working with a lot of startups in the, in the, both the creator economy and metaverse spaces. Um, but really trying to find a next opportunity that had a few characteristics like 
One, that my kind of background experience with creators, with content could drive an outsized impact on the business. Mm -hmm. um, and two, that I could, um, you know, um, have an you know, equity in the business such yep. that the extent that that happened, um, you know, uh, I would be a builder. I would, you know, I wanted not just from a financial perspective, but from a realization perspective from, hey, yep. I, I, yep. I, I built this thing. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so here's where I will share a scoop with you. I've given you the scoop on your podcast. Oh, uh, woo! Let's do it. <laughs> because, and I didn't say it earlier because I didn't want to like interrupt the flow. Um, but, you know, with Spring's acquisition, uh, Spring was acquired by yeah. a company called Maze in um, November, uh, beginning of November of last year, um, which I think was absolutely the right um, move for the company. And it's a, I think it's an exciting kind of direction that they're going in. But with that acquisition and the restructuring that came with it, um, it really no longer aligns with these core objectives that I laid out. So, gotcha. um, so I actually, uh, I'm transitioned from a full-time employee to consultant yep. Yep. Um, as of, you know, January 1st. Um, and I'll be consulting for the next several months, but I'm kind of in the process of transitioning out of that role and, and back to my search um, for um, that next thing where kind of for me again it's it's you know going back to what drew me to spring in the first place which was your question um i'd say it's this idea of um you know commerce and a community and how we enable um creators to build those two things together um or put another way build community in a way that is sustainable for them as creators that mm -hmm. Um, I think the most fascinating thing about Spring and the different types of creators, and um, and I was already seeing this at Roadblocks and in other platforms, and kind of I moved away from, like if you look at my career path, I kind of see myself as having moved away from ad revenue as a primary source of creator sustainability toward commerce, toward fan-based revenue, whether mm -hmm. subscriptions or events or like I loved all of like cameos and you know all of these different and what I found at spring that was fascinating you know, branching out beyond gaming and like the very you know the very particular monetization models for creators in that genre can be very different from the monetization models from creators in other genres like um like health I mean you know like um a lot of like health and well-being creators have much smaller followings, but because of the repeat nature of the interaction and the intensity of the interaction and the fact that they bring so much know-how and useful knowledge, practical knowledge to their fans, um, they don't need, right, the hundred thousand followers that we, you know, that a Roblox video star needed to have to be kind of, you know, to, to, to even show up as a blip, um, you know, sometimes they can have less than that and create a sustainable business. And, and that's really where it to me is like understanding like all of these different paths to being a creator, a full-time creator, which some might argue stems back to my own frustration uh, as a, you know, as a creator who never managed to make it as a creator and had to turn to being like, you know, a, a, an executive. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Well, uh, I think you're going to get a lot of contacts after this podcast, uh, which is good. Um, so I really appreciate you taking out the time, Rod. I, I've got one last kind of fun question. So obviously you've interacted with, you are a user of social media. I know I share far too much stuff with my friends and family. Um, what is, if there were one person that you shared the most often with your friends and family, could be Twitter, TikTok, whatever it is, uh, YouTube, what would that, who, who is that creator? Oh man, that is a tough one. It's a tough one, right? Or it could be a genre of content. It could be genre of content too. You know, like I'm, I'm a, I'm honestly like, I'm a big like (laughs) consumer of, series i feel like my my most um the thing i most share is like telling my my kids you know uh what to watch i have three daughters um 16 18 and 21 years old um so they're very much in the in the so they share a lot of tiktoks with me um but i find it's 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 very interesting to notice it's very rarely creator based Mm. Um, content based, right? So it's like me that are kind of help us connect around an idea of, of, you know, Oh, what a, what a oldest daughter. (laughs) Um, So again, like content and community, right? Like it's our family is a community too. Um, But um, lately I've been really fascinated with LinkedIn Mm. Um. And, you know, I'd say kind of as a creator economy guy, I've been sharing a lot of, you know, a lot of content in that space. Like, uh, um, I'm not uh, like, uh, uh, so, you know, um, Colin and Smear. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like I'm discovering, let's say, perhaps late, um, a lot of the great content, you know, around the creator economy that's being generated, you know, um, you know, so uh, a lot of a lot of it, uh, kind of journalists branching out into um, into like I don't want to come in here and cite a bunch of your competitors. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's all a rising tide, right? Like, yeah, I, but I, they're super interesting. Like super interesting sources of content. A lot of like, so you know, I, I actually at Spring um, got to work with um, Lauren Schnipper and and Josh. Um, Cohen from Tube Filter yep. um, to um, the Creator Upload podcast. Yep. And, um, you know, I've been uh, listening also to, I reconnected with Jim Louderback, uh, uh, who's uh, an old friend, you know, um, and is now doing, um, I forgot, like he's actually on his second Creator Economy podcast. So I don't want to mess up the names. But, uh, <laughs> I think the the one he's doing um, currently is with um, a journalist from uh, the information. If memory okay, cool. I think there's a lot. I've been sharing a lot of content from about the creator economy. Like I, um, um, I've been trying to create, let's say, or at least not really create, not with the ambition of of gaining a following, but just with the ambition of of pushing myself to write yep. more um, and writing about what you know is the easiest. So kind of, I think throughout the last year, I, I kind of shared a lot of creator economy 
content on LinkedIn. I, I would say that was my, other than sharing kind of new shows and TikToks with my daughters, I'd say the, the more relevant answer for this, <laughs> for this audience is probably that. It's like, you know, I think, I think LinkedIn, LinkedIn is highly is underrated. It's heavily that. utilized and the engagement on it is significantly higher, right? There's something about kind of it being like a quote unquote closed ecosystem rather than like Twitter it's like, I'm afraid to even like something on Twitter because I know like one, I don't know how opinions are going to change over time, right? Like you like something and today that's okay. 10 years from now, maybe not. And then like separately, I think that like, uh, it's just so public, right? Anybody can see it. And I there, so it, it's, uh, and I think in a lot of ways it was smart. You saw, they started showing views on Twitter where you can now see how many people view something, which is like, holy shit. It's like, so much higher than you would expect because engagement on a per view basis is so much lower. Um, yeah. So I'm just, a, I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn, particularly for uh, that type of content, right? Professional content. Um, sure. And when we talk about like community and we talk about like credibility and, and content, right? Like yeah. the, the, all topics that we've broached, like link is, LinkedIn is very unique in the sense that like, your your the credentials of the creator are all like very right ah, there. Ah, like, yeah. Like you right? like, like who is I, this I person? Resume exactly. Like, yeah. Not, here's my you know social media, and you can find out how many followers I have. It's not a popularity contest. Yeah. It's, it is that too, but it has this additional layer of credibility. Credibility of of identity, real identity um deep identity uh so yeah that's fascinating i hadn't thought about that before you know because you go to somebody's twitter okay there's a short bio but there's not much there it's like okay here's my here's my uh post and here's my resume with my post <laughs> yeah and, and on twitter it's like oh here's what i want my friends and you know potential like you know outsiders to know about me and that's what i that's what i write in my twitter bio and linkedin is like Here's what I want, like people who want to hire me or, you know, you know pay me somehow. To yeah. Know, yeah. You know, so it's, it's a whole other incentive system. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. Well, Rod, I feel like I could go for another hour, but I uh, want to be respectful of your time. No, it's been a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed it, Connor. Yeah, this is great. And um, I'm excited to see where your next landing spot is. I think we're going to have to talk some advisory stuff here ourselves. And, uh, yeah. And congrats again on all the success. I think what you've accomplished is, uh, is just so impressive. Oh, thanks so much, Connor. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, and happy new year to you and, and to all your listeners. Yes, you too. Right. Bye Rod. Bye. Thanks Connor. Be a friend, tell a friend and subscribe earned by creator IQ. Creator IQ is your all-in-one solution to grow, manage, scale, and measure your influencer marketing program. Ready to unlock the power of the creator economy? Get started with a demo today at creatoriq.com.